We have an anchor that keeps the soul steady. The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. How would you feel if this week you were to go to your mailbox, open it up, pull your mail out, and as you began sifting through the mail, a letter addressed to you that stands out. I hadn't seen a letter like this before. Never received a letter like this before. The reason is because the letter is from the Lord. What if the Lord were to write you a letter? What if this week, as you begin going through your mail, you see that Jesus has sent you a personal letter? You know, on the one hand, I guess we could say that that might be somewhat exhilarating. To think that the Lord would think enough of us to send us a letter. On the other hand, it might be somewhat frightening to hold in our hands a letter addressing us by name, and it's from the Lord. If the Lord were to send you a letter this week, what would He say to you? You know, in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, we have an account of the Lord surveying the seven churches of Asia. Bear in mind that the church is not a building. The church is composed of people. Now, in this setting, the Lord is specifically addressing certain congregations. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira and so on. But since the church is made up of people, and we are members of the church, and we make the church up, what if Jesus were to send us a personal letter? In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, there are a couple of thoughts. Number one, you have what I would call words of commendation. Secondly, there are words of condemnation. And then thirdly, I believe there are some words for our consideration. Let's just talk for a minute or two about words of commendation. We've been to the mailbox. Our name is on the letter. The return address is Jesus. And He's writing us a letter informing us of some things that He has seen and how we're living on planet Earth. Now, you know, one of the things that stands out in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Jesus begins His assessment of every church by saying this, I know your works. Now look, we can fool a lot of people. It might be the case that we even sometimes fool ourselves. But we're not going to fool the Lord. We're not going to be able to pull the wool over His eyes. No, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 23, Jordan read a moment ago, Jesus said, I am He who searches the mind and heart. Does the Lord know everything that we're doing? You better believe He does. Do you remember Solomon said in Proverbs 15, verse 3, The eyes of the Lord 
are in every place beholding the evil and good. In Hebrews chapter 4, the writer said in the long ago, Neither is there any creature that is not made manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So here it is. God knows all and God sees all. And God has the ability to size us up. He knows exactly where we stand spiritually. Why is that? Because He's God. And He has the ability to assess us like no other. Now, you know, we go to visit our doctor from time to time because maybe we're having some type of health problem or maybe it's because we just need an annual physical. But we go and they run a series of tests, blood work, etc. And they take the information that they get back and then they begin to draw some conclusions, don't they? So what we have in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Jesus is analyzing seven different congregations and He's sizing them up and He doesn't miss anything. He sees the good, the bad, and the downright ugly. So what about words of commendation? Well, one of the bright notes set forth by the Lord in chapter 2 has to do with the church at Ephesus. He said, I know your works, your labor, your patience or perseverance. In verse 3, he commended them for their labor for his name's sake. And then here's what he said, for you have not grown weary. You know, one of the problems we have sometimes is, as Paul said in the long ago, we grow weary doing good. Discouragement, despondency can rob us of our service to God. What if the Lord sent you a letter, as I said a minute ago, and one of the first things that he says in that letter is, I want you to know I appreciate your hard work in the kingdom of God. To the church at Thyatira, Jesus said that their last works were more than their first. In other words, they were growing. Their works were escalating in nature. Now Paul said in Ephesians 2 verse 10, We have been created in Christ Jesus under good works. Paul would write in Titus chapter 2 at verse 14, we are to be zealous of good works. In chapter 3 verse 1, Paul would say it like this, you be ready unto every good work. The thrust of Christianity is about serving the Lord, isn't it? So you've got a congregation of God's people. You've got individual Christians there that Jesus is singling out and He's saying, listen, I want you to know something. I'm proud of your efforts. I'm proud of your work. In Galatians 6, verse 9, Paul said that we shall reap if we don't faint. But he went on to say, he prefaced that by saying, don't be weary in well-doing or doing what's good. Back in verse 2 of Galatians chapter 6, he said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus pictured the judgment to come. He commends those on His right hand. Why? Because they served Him. 
He said, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was naked, you clothed me. I was a stranger, you took me in. Sick and in prison, you visited me. The Lord might be saying to you if He were to send you a letter, listen, I want you to know I am very proud of your hard work, your efforts in my name, for my name. Then there's a second thought. And now we turn our attention to the fact that the Lord commends us for our doctrinal stance. The Lord said to the church at Ephesus, He said, you cannot bear evil. And then He said, you have tested, tried those who say they're apostles and are not, and found them liars. He also commended them because He said, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Note if you would, the Lord hated the doctrine, but not the person. So they were strong in the faith. What about you? You sound doctrinally? The Lord is looking for people who are willing to live in subjection to His Word, isn't He? Read the New Testament. And note the emphasis on a sound faith. Paul would say we're to hold fast the pattern which we've received. We are to be people of the book, aren't we? Now, you know, Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, they could not bear evil. The ungodliness, the corruption, the vileness of the world in which we live, does that bother you? Does it hurt you to see people that take the name of the Lord in vain? Who are blasphemous? Who are hurling insults to the cause of Christ, denigrating those who want to live the Christian life? Here's what the psalmist said in Psalm 119. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, in light of that, I hate every false way. We ought to hate false doctrine. When people propagate error, it ought to hurt us. Why? Because it's lethal spiritually, isn't it? So these folks were sound in doctrine. They were people of the book. Paul would write in Titus, or rather in 1 Timothy chapter 4, He said, take heed to yourself, now listen to him, and to the doctrine. In Acts 2.42, the Bible says, concerning the early church, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. We cannot afford to move away from the doctrine of Christ. And what the Lord is saying to these people is, listen, I applaud the fact that you are sound in the faith. Third thought here has to do with a persevering spirit. Persevering in the midst of tribulation. To the church at Smyrna, the Lord said, I know your works, tribulation, and poverty. But He said, you're rich. And then He said, indeed, Satan is about to cast some of you into prison, and you'll be tested. You'll have tribulation for ten days, an indefinite period of time. In this day, listen, we need to know something about the first century saints. They faced a lot of heartache and a lot of trouble because of their faith in the Lord. We have lived in a country that has allowed us to enjoy the blessings of freedom, and I really believe that's through the providence of God. But if you look at our country and you see the deterioration of the spiritual fiber of this country, 
it might be the case that there's coming a time when we're going to have to persevere in times of difficulty. We're going to have to stand strong and faithful to God, come what may. Do you remember what Paul said, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12? All that will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. He didn't say you might. No, he said you will suffer persecution. When you take a hardline stand for Christ and His Word, then you open yourself up to criticism and, yes, even persecution. And listen, to have the kind of conviction and consecration to God that even in the midst of a fiery trial in which maybe some of our own brethren, believe it or not, are put to death, we're not going to renounce the cause of Christ. Go back and look again at the church at Pergamos. There Jesus singled out the fact that there were some in that congregation that held fast to His name. He said, even in the days in which Antipas, Antipas, my faithful martyr, listen to him, was killed among you. So here we are, 21st century America. Land of the free, home of the brave. And we've enjoyed religious freedom, freedom of press. We have enjoyed so many great freedoms in this world, but let's just say all at once those are taken from us. And now we as children of God are public enemy number one. And we've got the government knocking on our door. And they want to know, are you a follower of Christ? And let's just say that we're living in the first century and we are facing that kind of persecution. Revelation chapter 4, John sees the souls of those who have been beheaded for the cause of Christ. They were martyrs. Jesus identified Antipas as a faithful martyr. So you've got a brother or a sister in Christ and word gets out to you, they've been put to death. And now guess what? They're coming for you. How strong would you be? Would you stay strong and faithful to God, knowing that your physical life is on the line? Now, you know, sometimes we talk big, don't we? It's easy to say in a building like this where we enjoy all the luxuries and comforts of home, so to speak, in a land where we enjoy freedom, it's easy for us to say, well, you know what, come what may, I'm going to stand for the Lord. Really? You're really going to stand for the Lord? You're about to be put to death. Are you going to stand for the Lord? He commended these folks. Would He commend you? Remember what Jesus said? Do not fear Him that has the ability to destroy the body. You know, if you look at the New Testament, we put a lot of attention not on the inward man, but on the outward man, don't we? How much time do we spend worrying about taking care of this physical body to the neglect of our spiritual life? You look at the New Testament, God places value not on the outward man, but on the inward man. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't believe in the sanctity of life. And I'm not saying in any way that God wants us to, I don't, I don't think that the Lord wants us to think that He's not concerned about our physical body. But the point is, when it comes down to a choice, you choose to serve God 
at the expense of your physical body, whether it be persecution, and it might even end in death. So would that be you? Would you be that strong? Would you persevere? Listen to what James said. Blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he has been tried, he will receive the crown of life, face not away. And then he commended the church at Thyatira because of their work and love. The motivating factor behind our service in the kingdom ought to be love. If love's not present, then based on what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's all in vain, isn't it? In Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, Paul said, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. But listen to what he said, but faith working through love. The Lord singled these folks out in this congregation because he said, You folks love. I have no doubt they loved the Lord and they loved one another. And didn't Jesus say in Matthew 22 that we're to love? God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and great commandment? Yes. So by way of commendation, would the Lord praise you for your Christian life? Would the Lord say, you know what? I'm proud of how you're conducting yourself as one of my people. Now let's think for a minute about words of condemnation. Now we're talking about some problems. Problems that the Lord sees in our personal, spiritual life. What kind of problems? Go back and look at, at Revelation chapter 2, the church at Ephesus. Paul spent time in the city of Ephesus, preached to those people, wrote a letter to them from prison. In the midst of his glowing commendation to the saints in Ephesus, the Lord said, Nevertheless, I have something against you. What, Lord? What, what is it, Lord? You have left your first love. How much do you love God? Do you love Him enough to come back on Sunday night? Do you love Him enough to come back on Wednesday night? Do you love Him enough to serve Him on a daily basis? Do you love Him enough that you spend time in His book every single day? You love Him enough to, to pray to Him? To come before His throne, acknowledging Him as the Creator and Sustainer of life? Expressing a heart of thanksgiving for all that He has done on your behalf? Didn't James say every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from above? Jesus said to Christians in Ephesus, you have left your first love. If the Lord dropped a letter in your mailbox today, would He say to you, you have left your first love. You don't love me like you used to. Oh, you, you said at one time that you'd love me, serve me, that you would live for me day in and day out. You were going to live a consecrated life, but now I just don't see it. Love is not present in your Christian life. And then would the Lord say to you, You've got some problems, doctrinally speaking. You know, Jesus, when He surveyed the church at Thyatira, He singled out a woman by the name of Jezebel, who called herself a prophetess. You remember what Jesus said? 
She teaches and seduces my servants to commit fornication and eat things sacrificed to idols. Could I say to you that there's some brethren in the Lord's church today if he were to drop a personal letter in the mail to them, one of the real problems they would have, they have embraced false teaching. Now go back again and look at the church at Pergamos. Contrast their spirit to that of the Ephesians. The Ephesians hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans, and yet to the church at Pergamos, Jesus said in the long ago, you have some that hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. So you got some who are strong doctrinally, others who are weak doctrinally. Is that you? Have you embraced some type of teaching that is poisonous to your spiritual health? Some, some folks in our brotherhood, they have. And I have no doubt there are a lot of people that when everything is said and done, the reason they will lose their soul is because they have adhered to false teaching. Here's what John said by way of prevention. Beloved, believe not every spirit or teacher, but try, test the spirits or teachers. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Look, you better worry about protecting your faith and making sure that you are on solid ground, spiritually speaking, if you want to go to heaven. And then there's another problem. To the church at Sardis, the Lord singled out those folks in the first century because they had a glowing reputation in the community. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. Sometimes what you see is not real. Smoke and mirrors. We can act one way, but live altogether differently, can't we? If you had pulled somebody to the side in the city of Sardis, and said, what do you think about the membership at the church in the city? You know what people would have said? Man, these folks are something else. Jesus said, you have a name that you're alive. But now listen to what he said, but you're dead. They had a dead faith in the, in the community. They had this glowing reputation all as well. What God thinks and sometimes what man thinks are poles apart. We might appear one way before men, but in the eyes of God, God sees us, God knows us. What was it He said? Revelation chapter 2, verse 23, He searches the mind and the heart. Does God know whether or not you have a living faith or a dead faith? Yes, He does. And you're not fooling Him. I can promise you that. Are there people in the body of Christ, if they were to get a letter from the Lord today, would He say to them, you are dead? Would that be you? Another thought. Turn over to chapter 3 and look at the church at Laodicea. Laodicea, sadly, the Lord didn't have one good thing to say about those brethren. He said, I could wish that you were cold or hot, but you're not... You're not cold, you're not hot. He said, you're lukewarm. Apathy. Can I tell you what's killing the church in many places? It's called apathy. Just don't care. Not interested in the work of the church. Not interested in the cause. Oh, we show up on Sunday morning. We throw a couple of dollars in the plate. 
Listen, there is a lot more to Christianity than just showing up Sunday morning or even showing up Sunday night. We're talking about a lifetime, a lifetime endeavor in which the focal point has to be Christ. The hub of life needs to be the Lord, doesn't it? Didn't Jesus say, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Didn't Paul say, if you've been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, set your affection on things above, and not on things which are upon this earth. Not cold, not really hot, just indifferent. Can I say this to you? If you are indifferent for the cause of Christ, and you die in that state, you will lose your soul. Did you understand, you understand that? You will die, and you will be severed from the presence of God forever. This, this is not an either-or option. E either you are in or you're out. Jesus said, He that's not with me is against me. Are you in or out? And then there's a third, another, I guess another thought I want to share with you. And that is there were some who had some spiritual misconceptions. They had what I would say to be a false sense of spiritual security. Now let me ask this very quickly. Does God want us to feel secure in our spiritual standing? Yes. Does God want me to live with the assurance that I'm one of His children and that I have the hope of heaven? Absolutely. Can I rest under the banner of what John said in 1 John chapter 1? That if we walk in the light, as He's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of His Son Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Yes. If I'm giving my all to the Lord and doing my best, then I have the assurance that, you know what, everything's okay. When the Lord addressed the church at Laodicea, you remember what He said to them? He said, you say you're rich and increased with goods. They had a false sense of, of security. They thought they were something in the eyes of God. They thought all was well. And so He said, you're rich. That is, you think you're rich, increased with goods, but you do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Well, they thought they were okay. I remember years ago talking to the late Curtis Cates. And we were talking about some of the problems that are going on in the church, some of the problems that have been inflicted from those who are propagating error. In our own brotherhood, he made a statement I have never forgotten. He talked about those who have embraced liberalism. Here's what he said. A liberal doesn't know he's a liberal. So what's the point? It might be the case you think you're okay when in reality, oh, you're not. Listen, you are fooling yourself. You think you've got it together, spiritually speaking, and what the Lord's saying to the church at Ephesus, oh, they thought they had it together. Sometimes we listen to the Word of God as it is proclaimed, and we say, go get them. But the message never applies to self. He's talking to somebody else. He's talking to her. He's talking to him, but not me. I might be talking to you today. Because you think you're okay. If Jesus were to evaluate your life, what would he say? 
Now, don't make any mistake. Either you are in, and you're all in, or you're out. There is no middle ground. If you've left your first love, you're in trouble. If you are not sound doctrinally, you are in trouble. You just think about that for a minute. Would the Lord say to you, you need to remember from when you were fallen. You remember how it felt when you became a child of God? How good you felt? How clean you felt? You still feel like that? You still glad you're a child of God? Or do you need to remember, as Jesus said, from where you're fallen? Don't hear a lot about repentance in this day and time, but let me tell you what. The key to overcoming mediocrity and problems in our spiritual lives is called repentance. Still in the Bible. I still read where God says for people to repent. When Jesus surveyed the church at Laodicea, you remember what He said? As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. If there are problems in our lives, if we are amiss spiritually, the Lord wants us to know it. And the reason He points out the problems in life is so that He can help us, not hurt us. Why? Because He's interested in your well-being, spiritually speaking. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love